Hello there everybody, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped Welcome to Fresh Ball Fall, it's a season uh, of pumpkin spice Making sure your crotch looks nice, that means sipping cider in, a f- in an awesome breeze And using Manscaped products to trim your balls with ease That's right, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, the company Here to make sure that your foliage isn't the only thing shedding this excess leaves heck even mother nature knows it's time to lose those excess clutter for the autumn join the six million men worldwide who trust manscaped by going to manscaped.com get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code severe mma and today is the roundup for our uh patreon uh, with Harry bringing you through all of that good stuff, and we are proud to bring you that with the help of our friends over at Manscaped, making that making that all, all possible. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast, you can get all the rest of the podcast there. But uh, the glorious package over at Manscaped is that performance package 4.0 uh, inside the 10 part platinum package, it's everything you know and love about the performance package, plus some shower goodies included to elevate your grooming game to platinum the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer you know all about it the weed whacker nose and hair trimmer with the proprietary skin safe technology to protect protect your delicate parts and holes but are waterproof so you can do them in all weathers in uh you know addition to that you have the sh- uh, your shower routine uh, can be upgraded with the ultra premium body wash and ultra premium two-in-one shampoo and conditioner you have your skin and your hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh don't forget to apply their aluminum free uh, ultra premium deodorant don't worry it's not pumpkin spice it is cologne free fragrance but we shouldn't uh, save a signature sin for our pits use a crop preserver and po- crop reviver ball uh, toner as well to make sure you smell top shelf and not have sweaty balls manscaped even threw in the two free gifts Man's get boxers and D-shed travel bag to hold everything in. So get the platinum packages full. These products are great to be uh, to be hits. They're going to be hits with your dangly bits. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code SevereMMansCap.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks time to shine. And now, over to Harry Powell. And welcome to the Severe MMA Roundup. I'm your host, Harry Powell. Before we start and get into the content, if you like what you hear in this episode, please consider signing up to the Severe MMA Patreon. It's the price of a pint a month, and it really helps the Severe MMA crew keep generating out the content that you know and love. We can't look at this sport and look after this sport, covering this sport the way that we do without your help. So thanks very much. All right, ladies and gents, we are back. This month's roundup is a roundup for the month of September. We have a plethora of content like we always do. We have a lot of Speakers Corners episodes. We have Shawnee Podcasts Q&A. We have a look at Paddy Pimlet as a contender this month. We have a hot topic segment, and then we have a very special, maybe one time only, maybe not look at some of the fighters and fights that came out of the Bama promotion. So, let's get into it. Wonderful. So I'm going to dive right in, and this question is is a very open one. Um, it may give away when we're recording this, and I'm going to preface this. Nate Diaz recently fought out his contract with the UFC. He is somebody that has not been a quintessential company man, but has done lots for the company in terms of bringing eyes to MMA, in terms of bringing eyes to the UFC. Throughout the the bouts as a child, his Conor McGregor debacle, the Masvidal stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've also seen other fighters come to 
contract disputes with the UFC recently. Conor McGregor recently tweeted that he only has two fights left on his contract. Francis Ngannou has come to a, a contract dispute with the UFC. My question to you is this. Is it possible for a fighter to legitimately compete against the UFC in the ESPN era? And if it is, how do they do it? What do you mean by compete against the UFC? You know, exactly here. Okay, so if we look at the Nate Diaz situation, he spoke outwardly about his thoughts on the UFC. He spoke outwardly on his contract situation. He spoke outwardly on his treatment in the UFC. And the UFC booked him with Hamzat Shemaev. We have seen bountiful times fighters speak openly about wanting more money or wanting better conditions under their contracts and then being dealt a, a supremely difficult fight. My, I guess my, my definition of compete in this sense is gain leverage over the UFC that will leave them in either a financially superior position or sort of a tangible superior position, whether that be in terms of promotion or whatever else? Um, that's a very, very good question. And you know what? I don't think we have the answer to that question. Uh, a few years ago, I think we did have the answer to that question because uh, remember Gilbert Melendez was with the UFC and then he uh, signed a contract with Bellator and then the UFC decided, you know what, we don't want to uh, lose Gilbert Melendez. We didn't have him for a long time. He's a very good guy. He's one of the top guys in the world. We're going to match that contract. We're going to pay the money and we're going to keep him. Uh, and they did that. When was the last time that happened? Like, when was the last time you can remember that someone went to free agency, they got an offer somewhere else and the UFC matched it? Like, if you look at the, the two ones recently, Shane Burgos is one and uh, uh, Tiago Santos is another. I, uh, like, Dana White came out after Shane Burgess won and goes, oh, we made a mistake, we should have re-signed him or whatever, you know, so it's not, it's not a case of they didn't want him, it's just a case of PFL offered so much money that they weren't going to match it. So, we're in a situation, right, where we don't really uh, know the value of any fighter to the UFC uh, outside of like the very top fighters. And when I say outside of the very top fighters, I actually, we don't know the value of the very top fighters to the UFC either. And, uh, sorry, very top fighters is the wrong phrase there. The very top draws, right? We don't know their value to the UFC either because we haven't really had a situation where that has happened. Now, maybe Francis Ngannou waits out his year or maybe he has another fight and his contract is up or whatever and then we find out or we'll find out now maybe with Nathan Diaz. Um... But we're in a very weird place in mixed martial arts now where it seems like the UFC is almost happy for, I would say, nearly everybody. And I, I, I'm, you know what? I was, I was, and I'll finish that sentence first and then I'll pop back. Nearly everybody to leave the UFC and go somewhere else, right? They, they almost don't care about keeping anyone. Um, that is a weird situation for us to have. And like, wh why is the reason to have that? Because they have those three letters UFC. They know that's the most important thing. They have the guaranteed ESPN deal. Their pay-per-views are doing really well, no matter who's on them, even if it isn't a great matchup, even if it isn't, uh, if there aren't great fights or anything like that. They seem to, and we always kind of say, oh, the UFC will struggle to create stars. The UFC seemingly have created loads of stars over the last one. Maybe not, and they haven't created an ex-McGregor or anything like that. But Adesanya has kind of popped up as a guy who sells pay-per-views. Uh, you know, even T Sterling has done pretty well. Yan has done pretty well. O'Malley has done pretty well. Three of them all in uh, one division there. Like, they, they still have the likes of Jose Aldo, the Volkanovski, Max Holloway have done well, the lightweight title will always draw, the heavyweight title uh, looks like Ngannou is a bit, of a, a bit of a star, John Jones will be coming back now. And, there, okay, there's no major, there's no Chris Ibert, there's no Conor McGregor, there's no Ronda Rousey, or there's no GSP, but there's lots of, like, where John Jones used to be. There's lots of them right now. I think the pandemic has helped that as well, no doubt about it. But... And my point is here, even if you disagree with that, right, and even if you said those guys aren't stars, those guys are people who draw, you know, the the mid-level pay-per-views. And that's all the UFC really want at the moment, all they need at the moment. Go on, you want to interject there? I do, sorry, I'm not going to cut you, but I did the UFC create those, though? 
no. Well, what do you like? What do you mean to decorate them? In what way? Because I mean, if I could just quote what you've just said, you say the UFC has created a number of stars, draws, right? Stars and draws are interchangeable in, yeah. in this conversation, right? Um, you say that they've created these stars slash draws over the last little while. And I actually think you look at somebody like Alexander Volkanovsky, what he's doing, yes, is the fighting thing, but he also has the cooking show on YouTube. He has this on Instagram. He has that. Israel Adesanya has the Twitch stuff. He has his outside persona. O'Malley, massive on Twitch. Like It feels as though the UFC is actually doing less now and is merely capitalizing on what these fighters are doing themselves. You're right. That uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they probably are doing less. Actually, you're right. But it's always been that way. It was the same. Look at Conor McGregor. He's docu- documentaries are they're all his own. All this stuff is all his own. You're right. I hundred percent. I I couldn't disagree with you. Maybe the the sentence I should have said there. Stars have been created in the UFC. You know our star UFC. Yeah. So they're they're there right now at the moment. Um, but it just. Do you know what it just it just feels like that they have no need to rely on anyone massive. Now, look, if Conor McGregor was at the top of his game and he was a champion in the UFC uh, and someone else offered him t- $10 million to go somewhere else, look, I'm sure the UFC would say, fucking hell, that's a lot of money, but we need to keep this guy. Let's offer him $11 million, or let's offer him you know, $10 million and, and $1 or something like that, you know, to, uh, to keep him. I'm sure they would. But it feels like... If you go through the, the divisions, if you go through the top tens, like there, I don't think there are many. Like, uh, let's say Sean O'Malley comes to the end of his deal, right? Let's say he beats Peter Yan, and the PFL come in and they offer Sean O'Malley five hundred grand per fight for five fights, and obviously the the million pounds on top of that as well. Do you think the UFC would match that two and a half million or whatever? Is that two and a half million for Sean O'Malley? I, no. I don't I don't think they probably would no and he, he's probably one of their biggest up and coming stars and let's say he beats Peter Yan he's the biggest star in the up and coming star in the sport you could argue with you know you could throw in Taporia and a few more you know so it's we're at a situation and, and, and I've gone away from the first question you asked but it's about like the, the value basically of the top people I actually think it's funny because people always talked about the UFC being a monopoly right and um the UFC's monopolistic um, uh, adjunct, I suppose, uh, hurt fighters from making money. It feels like the UFC has never been as monopolistic as it is right now. So that was a conversation between Sean and I on the Speaker's Corner platform surrounding the idea of leverage for fighters within MMA. We will stick with Speaker's Corner and we will jump into a speaker's corner surrounding the idea of the oversaturation in MMA media and how fans find good content within the scene. What we're going to talk about today, Mr. Sheen, is a a bit of a it's a bit of a difficult one to sort of posit, but we'll work our way through it. My question is about the fans' consumption of media coverage of MMA. My question is, there is a ton of saturation in terms of MMA content, whether it be interviewers asking similar questions, press conferences running in the same sort of fashion and the same sort of questions being answered, presses, face-offs, weigh-ins, post-fight press conferences, all of that stuff. And then the independent media content is a lot of way quite similar. Now, there are obviously guys that do it differently. Luke Thomas does uh, the morning combat thing. He does the analysis really, really well. Dan Hardy does his own analysis really, really well. You have guys like Shaheen who writes fantastic articles. There are guys out there and outlets out there that are trying to bring original content. Severo May is obviously one of them. My question is, do you think the fans notice the saturation of MMA media and if they do do you think that they will force change like they have forced change for other things in MMA no I don't think they necessarily do um, I think 
fans of MMA kind of find their people that they look at and they, they consume and they kind of stick to that now maybe they find one person or maybe they find five people or ten people or, or whatever it might be but I I, I, I and we will we'll get further into this in a second but I, I think you know we've talked briefly about this before and I think we at the time we said we must do a, a, fur, a further podcast on it and here, and here we are I suppose but Look, I think when you get into MMA at the start, and maybe you go, uh, you know, you Google or you go on Twitter or whatever, you look up like MMA journalist or MMA media or whatever, and you'll, you know, you're going to find MMA fighting, or maybe luckily now for me, you might find Sherdog as one of the first ones, and maybe you'll come onto the Sheehan show or something like that, and you'll find me. But you're probably, look, you're going to find Ariel first, then you might find Luke Thomas. And then after that, if you get on Twitter and maybe you see Luke Thomas retweeting me or a judging podcast I did or something, you listen to that, then maybe you might find me or you might find, you know, James Lynch or you might find, uh, you know, the yourself. You might listen to the One Man Boot and think every, you know, every month now when that comes out, I'm going to listen to that or I'm going to read Harry's article every Monday. And that sort of stuff can happen. But in terms of the kind of the oversaturation of it, I don't think... Uh, the media side is something that people feel like they have to consume all of. Um, although it kind of once was, you know, it does. Now, to your point, it does reflect MMA uh, the, the way MMA is because MMA is something that everyone, to be a, a hardcore, that you had to um, you had to ingest everything that was being bred from the teeth of the mixed martial arts gods, and I just feel like that's not the case anymore. Like, I, I obviously now for for severe me, I'm doing mostly like the UFC stuff and things like that. Um, and then for Sherdong, I'm obviously doing a lot of Bellator and PFL and one championship and even KSW and Cage Warriors as well as uh, some UFC stuff, and. Some people like it all, but there's, I think a lot of people now will kind of consume what they want to consume with mixed martial arts. Um, and it's mostly, obviously, the UFC. Like, a lot of people just will not watch Bellator. Like, a lot of people just don't watch Bellator. Even some certain media, they just won't um, not even consume Bellator, but they want, they're not tweeting about it. They're not doing stories about it. They're not doing interviews about it. They're not breaking down the cards or discussing the cards. Out. Maybe they will slightly even discuss the, 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 the cards afterwards, maybe not in great detail. Um, and I, I think that is maybe where you'll find uh, some people to consume your media because my Bellator previews have been doing pretty well the last while because there are many people doing Bellator previews, you know, and if you want to go into that card, maybe you're watching Bellator that weekend, you're going to want to watch a preview and see uh, what you're going to watch or see what you're going to, you know, see on the television on that Friday. So, um, with look, with certain things with the UFC, it, it, it can be different. Like, you, you talked about oversaturation, people maybe having too much. For certain things, absolutely, right? So uh, th- this is a point I kind of jumped forward from earlier on. If you go on YouTube on the media day of, let's say, um, a Las Vegas pay-per-view event, you're going to see, and uh, let's name just some, a fighter, I don't know, um, Andre Mooney's, right? So uh, let's say Andre Mooney's in his next fight fights Robert Whitaker. And he's in the co-main event of a pay-per-view. You're going to see MMA Junkie have Media Day with Andre Mooney's video. MMA Fighting, Media Day with Andre Mooney's video. I think John Morgan is working. Who's he working for now? The Underground. So you'll see that. Um, if you're subscribed to it, obviously, you'll see, you know, maybe Shardog will have someone there. You know, maybe T.O. will be there for Severe and May. You'll, and you'll have all of them. And they're like, you click on them, they're all the same. You know, they're all the exact same. That's where I think it can get homogenized. That's where I think it can get, um, you know, kind of. Uh, you're, you're, there's, there's no point. You're, you're not consuming the same thing over and over and over again, and everyone having the same content. It's, it's, it's basically like you know a press release before. Now I don't. I actually like. There's not nothing wrong. I'm not criticizing those people. We'd absolutely do. It. You know, I'll be doing it at the Bellator press day here in a couple of weeks, but I'll be the only one there. Is the only probably difference to that, uh, like last time, but. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing is, well, though, is like all of those websites I mentioned there, and you can add in Severe May as well, we'll all have a preview for that card, right? We'll all have a preview for that. But I think that difference is what I spoke about to the start of the podcast, that the people will have found their people. Next up, we will visit Shawnee and Quilcher doing a one-off podcast where they discuss 
the fighters and the fights that were put on by Bama. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Severe MMA Podcast Premium. And today is a special edition. Myself and Quilcha kind of, we talked about it two podcasts ago when we were doing Hot Topic. Uh, and we mentioned Bama. And we said, you know what? We'll go back over the few Bama cards. How many do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cards? Eight-ish cards. So we're going to go back over some of them, look through some of the fights, uh, some of the fighters even, maybe, if not some of the fights, and, and talk about maybe the consequences it had in the future for Irish MMA, some of the people that debuted, or maybe we had a, one of their first couple of fights on it, starting at Bama 22, Dukumwa versus Lachnan, which is two obviously very uh, interesting names to, to, to uh, headline a card in Ireland. Uh, Quilcha, how are you today? I'm looking forward to getting into this. Good now, can't complain. Um, like, yeah, I'm buzzing for these now because uh, I think it was these Bamas when I think it was Bama 22, 24 around that time is when I actually kind of got into it. was into it beforehand when I was a bit younger, but this is when I was actually kind of first in the media side. So, uh, I used to think Bama, I used to look at Bama how everyone looks at Cage Warriors basically because that Cage Warriors are non existent at the time. Yeah, I think, um, was this around the gap when Cage Warriors went away and then they came back again? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because Bama was, you know, it's a bit like now kind of for the SPG fighters that Bama is the home, you know, or uh, sorry, Bellator is the home. And Bama at the time kind of, uh, you know, they became adjunct with uh, Bellator a little bit uh, in, in the middle of this, we'll say. It did become like the place where you got your opportunity as an Irish fighter in Ireland. Um Bama 22 was in 2015 so that was kind of right in the middle of the whole McGregor madness and all of that at the very start and the Irish people were coming through and even like the first uh, I suppose the first wave of Irish MMA fighters were, were kind of still there at this time but if you look at this first card and I suppose we'll, we'll get straight into it there was some unbelievable talent in this like it was a massive card. There was a pile of fighters on it. But let, let's, I'll just throw out a few of the names here, Quilch, and you can kind of, uh, you know, uh, mention whoever uh, you want to, to mention here. But Paul Craig versus Carl Moore was on this. Obviously, Carl Moore fighting uh, against Carlisle Brexton in, in, K, uh, in uh, Bellator uh, coming up here. Paul Craig one of the top-ranked UFC light heavyweights in the world at the moment. Dylan Chuk was on a name. We obviously know Reese McKee, the champion in Cage Warriors at the moment. Franz Malamba, and he's a champion in two different places at the moment, isn't he? Sinead Kavanagh, arguably the number one contender, 145 in Bellator right now. You know, Kane Moose is fighting this weekend. Miles Price fighting in PFL. Mark Chikese, one of the top up-and-comers in the UFC. You know, Jack Grant is uh, with Bellator now. Alan Philpott had a great career. Chris Fields, Tom Dukunwa, Brendan Lachnan. There was so much, just so many names in this. It's an unbelievable amount and array of fighters in this wheelchair. I, I'm sorry for calling them all out there because there's about 10 lads you could probably go through there uh, who have had noteworthy careers since then. It's crazy. Like, you look at half of them and where they've gone. Like, this car- look, in hindsight, this card, like, the amount of, like, superstars that have come from this that have gone on to do mad things is crazy. But even, like, how I, how I look at it is, like, look at it the talent they picked up from Z- from when they were at O and O. Like they picked up Chuke, McGee, Malambo and Kavanaugh all for their debuts. Uh, and they all won their debuts as well to make it better for them. But like, you know, to have that eye for talent and to pick up potential, I guess, superstars early on and target that Irish market was perfect. Especially when you see like how far they've gone. Like that card was just mental. I remember Franz Malambo, yeah, he knocked out a, Darren O'Gorman, he looked unbelievable. And Sinead Kavanagh comes out with a 17-second knockout, for God's sake. Uh, Dia Kise on the card, he was like a one-punch knockout again in his typical style. And Jack McGann, Jesus, I forgot about him. He was superstar back then, I remember. He was unbelievable. And uh, I think he's gone boxing now, it's a shame. But uh, fucking hell, look at it. Going up the card then, like, there was Regis Sugden on that as well. He's part of that Sugden brothers, three of them, but they're all kind of kickboxes, boxes now. But he had the... He's serious potential, but I don't think he kind of pursued MMA in the end. But like, it kind of set the roots how I look at it. Like this kind of these cards have kind of kind of planted the seed for these for the Irish talent that's now gone on to you know, they made their debuts in Three Arena, and now you see them headline either headlining in Sinead Kavanagh's case, um, in well, I don't know if she was headliner, but she might she was the people's headliner in that last fight, and uh, you see how far they've come. It's just incredible, and I love it looking back and seeing this. So. 
Chuk, Malambo, Cav- Shane Kavanagh, and Fran- uh, who's the other one? Uh, Reese McKee. Reese McKee all made their pro debuts on this card. That that's chaos. That's crazy, really, when you think about it. To see, you know, where where those people are either have gotten to or where they're where you know where they're going to at the moment, or the level of talent they have. That is actually unbelievable. Like. It's funny, sometimes you see, you see the cards you go to now, even the, the Bellators, and you see lads, you know, like uh, Constantine Blanchet and Nacella Jew making their debuts against each other uh, a couple of cards ago, and you're thinking, oh, where could these lads go to? But it's <laughs> it's hard, actually, to kind of, and you can't, I suppose, picture where these lads and, and ladies are going to go to in those fights. But if you were to look at where they are now and kind of fly back to that, as we're kind of doing here, it's it's mad. It it is mad to see all of that talent came through on that one card. And, you know, credit Jude Samuel. Remember Andrew? I think it was around the time of this. Did an interview with him. You know, Jude is still working for uh, for Bellator at the moment. He did, you know, a fantastic job, and I'm sure you know he got uh, the, the the shout from John Kavanagh and from Rodney and other people as well around. But that to 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 see that level of people, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I want to give a shout to. Uh, Alan Philpot as well because Philpot and we'll see him again in a couple of these cards Philpot fought some tough guys around there you know Regis Sugden was tough fought Duke and Wah he fought uh, Nathaniel Wood as well didn't he Philpot uh, you know he, he he admitted himself he was a bit of a messer I think at times and maybe he didn't take it as seriously or as not not that he didn't take it seriously but kind of went off the wagon a little bit uh, a bit of the time but God almighty he was I have a lot of respect for Alan Philpot and the, the, uh, Al, uh, Philpot Philpot and the fights he took, and the tough guys he fought. You, you have to respect it, don't you? And there isn't, you know, records are for DJs at times, but Philpott had a, not a bad record, and he was fighting some fucking very good guys. We will now dip into an episode of The Contender with Ian O'Neill and Sean Sheehan. They are discussing the polarising figure that is the scouse sergeant himself, Paddy Pimlet. There was a never a doubt in my mind that Paddy Pimblet would be, you know, a star, if not necessarily a, a great fighter or a champion, which we'll obviously get to. But he always had that star power in me. Always was funny. Always said and did outlandish things which seem normal. And that's what you need to do, isn't it? Now, it's not even what you need to do. It's just what some people are. And he is one of those chosen people. It's it's what you can relate to, Sean. Um and people can relate to Paddy Pimblet. He's just this working class chap um, coming from from Liverpool. And, you know, he garnered that following over in Liverpool from a very young age through fighting, you know. And uh, people related to him and they got the, he got the support all the way through Cage Warriors. Um, yes, he's had a couple of blips in the road. Uh, yes, he said some pretty crazy stuff down the line. But you know what? Because people can relate to him and people understand that sometimes you make mistakes and you say some crazy shit. I think if, if someone didn't like him or he wasn't as relatable, he probably would have gotten more trouble or, you know, especially in this day and age where, you know, you can't really be saying too much outrageous shit online or, or it's going to come to your detriment. And I guess it had as a couple of times to him losing his social media and all that stuff. But you want to see Paddy do well. Don't, you know what I mean? That's it. You just want to do it. And we're, you know, we're in a position where, you know, you have to call it as it is, but you know, deep down you want to see someone like Paddy do well. Um, you know, you relate to him like people relate to Connor, like a working class man who came in and, and has made a success for himself. Paddy has done the same as well. Um, and, you know, the big talking point, you know, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about, you know, choosing the right entry into the UFC, when's the right time to do it. Paddy's had a couple of decisions to make throughout his career and has had to turn down a few con- uh, contracts until he felt he was ready to make that move over there. And, you know, we'll talk about maybe what's going to happen down the line, but so far, so good for him uh, in the decisions that he's been making. So uh, uh, up to date, right, as we're speaking right now. Yeah, and with the UFC as well, you know, the matchmaking has been... You know, a winning matchmaking formula so far for Paddy Bimlet. Um, and if they continue, continue, can continue on with that, it will help him become even more of a star and it will help him become a better fighter too. Um, and maybe to, you know, to transition over to that. Now, in our transition, we must say here, and I think if Paddy keeps winning um, and he goes all the way to a title fight, it'll be massive. If he wins the belt, it'll be absolutely massive. 
if he becomes a dominant champion, you know, he will be up there with the likes of McGregor as one of the biggest stars in the history of the sport. Can he overtake or pass McGregor? That that's a bit unlikely. But can he become like number two or three in ever? If all of this goes well, I think yes. I, I, I would think yes. Um the problem here, and I, I feel like I've said this before exactly like this somewhere else, I, I just don't think he has what it takes in terms of the ability to get to that next level of a fighter. We must talk as well about Paddy Pimler, right? And, and we obviously we transition over to his ability and, tra- and transition over to his next few fights and maybe what they look like. You have to look at Paddy Pimler and realise this. 22 fights into his career. People talk about Paddy Pimlet as if he's like a new prospect, a new contender or anything like that. Paddy Pimlet made his debut in 2012. He's been fighting for 10 years or coming up on, on uh, 11 years uh, as a fighter. Made his Cage Warriors debut in 2013. Yeah, you know, he made his debut when he was 16 or something yeah. like that, wasn't he? He was on the scene very, very young. Very young, yeah. And it's about miles on the clock more so than your age or how young you are. Like you fought... I'm looking here, Martin Sheridan in 2014, Cameron Else the year before that and lost that fight. You know, fought Ashley Grimshaw in 2016 and then the likes of Teddy Violet and up to, you know, Julian Arosa and Adnan Naramani and the other people he had after that. It's Paddy Pimlet isn't the sort of guy who was ridden free in MMA. He isn't the sort of guy who got an easy road to get to the top of cage wars and into the UFC. He's had tough fights, he's had five round fights, he's had tough camps, he's had tough injuries. Now, where, that, I suppose would would uh, augur the question where is he at at his career in the moment if I don't think he is uh, a prospect coming through what do I think he is well to answer my own question there I think Paddy Pimble is like entering his prime right now I think there's maybe a couple of years maybe it might be five because he is a bit younger maybe five more years of Paddy Pimble like at his prime, at his very, very best, and then maybe another few years, obviously, after that as well. It's very rare you see an MMA career go into 15, 16, 17 years. He's already 11 years into it almost here. So <laughs> to, to even say that is probably a complimentary thing to say from my point of view, and I'm only saying that a lot of the way because he didn't have much of an amateur career and he's, he's still young. Next up, we will jump into a hot topic where... Sean and Ian discuss the recent tragic passing of TriStar's Elias Theodoru. Elias Theodoru was a big, a big guy with that, you know, and obviously he passed away during the week. And I suppose someone asked me in the Q&A about what he'd be remembered for. And I, do you know what? I didn't say that. So maybe I have a second opportunity to say that. But I think that work with CBD and with marijuana in sports and it's been a lot now I wouldn't know much about that to be honest but everyone you speak to who does know a lot about it and who speaks on that says it's something that is obviously not performance enhancing but does help the fighters and helps recovery and helps all of that where while not giving you a massive advantage you know and he was someone who worked for that I just I wonder and maybe not now maybe I'm reading into it too much but I wonder was a part of his illness and stuff so something that kind of played onto that I don't think it's a thing that went on for a uh, maybe that long but I'm sure maybe he knew other people and when it came to his own um, you know his his own issues then uh, obviously helped him as well but it's look uh, very very sad 34 years of age seemed like a really nice guy I said on the Q&A as well one of the guys that you, you see at the start and maybe you don't know how to react to him because he's a different sort of personality than what we'd see in MMA all the time but I think the kind of the more you get to know him the more you see of him online and things I think the nicer of a person you thought he was which I suppose is a great compliment to give anyone but yeah I think he look I think he'll remember as a nice guy which is a lovely thing to be remembered for I think he'll be remembered as the person who maybe brought the whole CBD marijuana thing to and maybe a logical stage, you know, we have the Nathan Diaz and all of that kind of bringing up very little logic behind it or anything like that. But he was the one that was fighting for it, fighting for its legalization, actually made it legal, fought a fight with a, a therapeutic use exemption for that as well, which is a massive thing. You know, that's very rare that a fighter actually fights for something and gets it uh, in that. But also, I think he'd be remembered for a fighter who uh, I think Aaron Brown said or started, he said he only started at 21 years of age or something like that competing in mixed martial arts, got to the UFC in three years and then had a very, very good UFC career, was, you know, went out of the UFC off one loss to Derry Brunchen, which was very unfortunate. But I think you remember all of those things, but also a, a fighter who 
made his way in the fight game with like an unbelievable winning mentality for someone who didn't probably have the skills um, as everyone else had because of the fact he wasn't doing it for that long. How, how would you remember him? And I know, you're, you know, it's, it's obviously very, very sad. And to even be talking about him like this is, is, is crazy. He was only like online and stuff a couple of days ago and it feels like for him to be gone is just mad altogether. But how, how would you remember him, Kilcher? Yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. I was shocked when I first heard it. Like, um, he, it was obviously his diagnosis and all the medical issues was, uh, was very much kept under wraps. So, uh, it was a big shock to the system to hear that it's heartbreaking to hear someone die so young. Like, um, but I, like what I'd remember him by, geez, um, there's a few different things. It's funny. One of the, uh, when I first started, I guess, getting into the sport properly, um, it was around the time of, uh, the ultimate fighter nations. Right. And, um, I was watching it because I got to meet and train with one guy who was on the season for Australia. And then all of a sudden, uh, Elias Theodoro, Theodoro was on the, um, was on the show as well. And I remember I watched that religiously every single, every single week I watched that show and uh, I loved him. I thought he was great. And ever since that, I follow, I follow his career after that, like, like no tomorrow. And the thing is like, he was, I think he was fantastic. Mixed martial artists, mixed martial artist. He like only losing to Santos, Brunson, Tavares, and then his wins are all incredible. Very unlucky to be cut from the UFC when he did, but the stuff, the work he's done outside of the sport was just as good as the work he did inside the sport. And you can't like, he's got a lot of stuff that make you smile. Um, like, when he did the, uh, he was like the ringman for Invicta. Yeah, was very funny. Like, like stuff, just stuff that no one did. He thought outside the box and like, it was brilliant and he didn't care. He, just, he was just him. That's the one thing I really loved about him. He was always himself. There was no persona put on. He may not have been everyone's cup of tea, but he was as real as they come when it came to how he presented himself online, presented himself in interviews. And he was, he was, Maybe he was entertaining the cage as well. Um, he's going to be a big loss to the sport, both inside and out. And uh, yeah, it's just heartbreaking stuff, really, isn't it? And last, but certainly not least, is the king of the show. The apple of everyone's eye. Everyone's favourite segment. The Q&A with Shawnee Podcasts. Enjoy. The first question from our guy... And his question, sorry I was on the la- absolute lash in Donegal last week, so I didn't have questions, my apologies, no problem, no problem at, at all. Uh, thoughts on Santos going to the PFL, were you surprised the UFC let him go, still a reasonably well slash, uh, a reasonably big slash well-known name in the division, albeit not the fighter he once was? Um, not necessarily, like I, I tweeted this out. Uh, maybe a year ago or something like the, a Dominic Reyes. I use the word Dominic Reyes, but you you could you, I could easily have used Thiago Santos. Those type type of fighters in almost every weight class in the UFC, as I kind of updated it there a couple of weeks ago. Why would they not go to the PFL? Like those lads are fighting for it, look. If they get into the main event, maybe they're getting a couple of hundred grand or whatever. Um, but they're nominally fighting for smaller money than the lads in the PFL are fighting for. And we know that because the money that Brendan Ockdown and other lads got is, is coming out. So if he goes to the PFL, he's probably fighting for similar money in every fight than what he'd get in a main event. And would every fight for Chaga Santos be a main event? A lot of them lately have been, absolutely. But even if it is, you know, 20, 30, 40 grand less... You know, the next time he fights, it might be in a co-main event, and that might be a hundred grand less, so he'd make it up anyway, right? So he's not fighting for less money, more money, I would say, of anything. <clears throat> and then there is that prospect of winning a million quid at the end of it. So I think someone like Chaga Santos, who, as as uh, Return to Max said here, um, or, well, he, he didn't really say it, but he, uh, I think most people would, would say it, on the way down a little bit, you know? He's probably on the way up in PFL, considering the level that, that is there. Now, the level is improving all the time. You know, it could be him versus Will Flory if Will is in that one and at that weight. Uh, so that's a <laughs> tough fight for bottom. No easy money for anyone. But um, I, I I just think it makes, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. The UFC, I don't think the UFC are going to be able to match a lot of the guaranteed pay that uh, PFL are going to offer if they're paying the way they are paying. So uh, what do you do with Shemayev next? Do you do uh, Colby 
or do you do the winner of Bilal versus Brady or someone at 185 well this is an easy one Robert Whitaker is the only fight to make there's no like if he's staying at 170 okay I can see either of those two options I like him him versus Brady or Bilal or Colby yeah no problem if he's going to 185 him versus Whitaker there's never been a fight that's made more sense than that right so he's number one can under 170 now if he goes up to 185 let me just let me just look at the rankings just before anyone goes mad. Oh, he's under one seventy, but he hasn't under one eighty five. Let's look at the shit that's at one eighty five, right? Right. So there's uh, Whitaker, Adesanya, and uh, Pereira, the top three at the moment, right? Two lads fighting for the title, and we know Whitaker. Then after that, we've Cannonier, Vittori, Brunson, Costa, Strickland, Hermanson, Till, Till, Till lads, Till at number fucking nine. Come on, do you really want to see him destroy Jared Cannonier? Or destroy any of those lads I don't Like he can do that afterwards If he gets the title maybe Put him in there against Robert Whitaker And then have him fight Adesanya When Adesanya You know pussyfoots around your man for five rounds No fight has ever made more sense Like Whitaker is in this position right now Where he had There's nothing for him Like he's beating the rest of the division uh, Or he is beating or will beat Or you know whatever you want to say it, The rest of the division And Adesanya is above him And you know he's Not getting a fight with him for another while He's crying out for a fight. He's crying out for a matchup. He's crying out for the you know number one versus number two guy to battle it out for the title. That's perfect. Uh, next question: What does Marvin need to do to reach next level? He's very good, uh, but he looked totally lost and outclassed by Rob. Um, look, I think the answer to that one is not much really in terms of that fight. I think he was just outmatched, outgunned, and outtaught. And the out-taught bit was the main part there because um, when you look, I, I say it regularly and people who listen to my thing, my Q&As and the podcasts and things know it's a phrase I always use. What separates a good fighter from a great fighter is their ability to change mid-fight, is their ability to adjust to the adjustments of their opponent. That's what made Fly Mayweather a great boxer and other you know MMA fighters great MMA fighters. He really is. And Marvin Vittori showed in that fight that he was not able to switch up whatsoever in the fight. That's not really a thing that you can teach, I don't think. Or it's not, it's like the, the, the fight, the, look, if he doesn't have the fight IQ by this stage of his career, I don't know if he's getting it. In, especially in a weight class, like, you know, like middleweight. Uh, I think it's... I think it's going to be tough for him after that. I don't... I thought, like A big part of it, I, I spoke about it with Mac Desi a little bit on the main podcast. When you're not the athletic beast that other people are, you're going to struggle badly. Like He's always going to stro- struggle with the athleticism uh, of uh, a Whitaker or an, um, uh, an Adesanya or other people like that. That's just always going to be a problem for him when the skill levels are the same or a bad matchup or whatever it might be. Um... What can, like the question is, what can he do? I, I suppose he can he can just wait it out. He can keep working. Um, I, look, the, what, he's good at certain things, and I thought he had a chance. Like I, I thought this fight would go to a decision, and it'd be a close decision. And now I was right in a certain way, but it was it wasn't that close. Um, and the reason for that, I think, was the game plan of Robert Whitaker. But what Marvin Vittori is very good at doing. Um, it's he's and it, this is probably a part of the problem why he can't adjust. He's very good at kind of being pig-headed with his own camp game plan going forward and kind of refusing to look at what his opponent should do. That's a positive in what I just said, but it's also a negative when you get into a fight like Whitaker, where Whitaker and, and like this is actually thinking about now. This is the first time I put this two and two together. Like that's why I said coming into the fight, I, t- I thought Vittori would have a chance, and Whitaker obviously saw that too and goes, "Well, okay, he's going to do that. He's going to be pig-headed." coming through let him do that and i'll just counter him and it worked a treat and marvin couldn't adjust so yeah look that sort of adjustment that sort of uh, and i said i said you can't learn it maybe i'm wrong there but it's it's a thing i don't really see many people ever learning if you get me Ewan Cool with the next question here. Thank you, Ewan, for the question. Uh, on the Gummies versus Aaron's fight, the dissenting judge scored the fight 29-29, with the third round scored a 10-10. Uh, defense from the judges' union, please. Surely there was plenty action to allow differentiation of the fighters. Yeah, there is uh, There's no uh, judges' union um, defense here, unfortunately, for, for that poor old judge. Um 
from what I'm led to believe that uh, no, I'm not even what I'm led to believe. What what happens after all of those events is to have their uh, their judges meeting afterwards, and I believe they did. They got through the rounds like this, you know, the, the dissenting rounds, dissenting judges, and uh, you know, I I think that judge was told and will be probably told further as he goes. The thing I would say, and the only defense I would have for the judges, this was the first ever events in France, right? First ever UFC event in France. And uh, look, they wanted to get one of their own judges on it. A guy who's done Aries and done other things as well. He's a, He has some experience, very different between having some experience and being experienced enough to um, officiate a UFC fight. There was probably a bit of like, I don't know who to give the round to, a bit of panic and goes, I'll give the 10-10. Probably lost the head that tiny little bit. Um, and, you know, it's a tough situation. And I, I you know, I feel I would like to be in that situation myself. I think I actually tweeted that at the night, at the night, at the time. But he made a wrong decision. There's no doubt about that. He has to learn he can never do that again. That was just a, absolutely the wrong thing to do. Uh, look, I gave the full explanation on the podcast. I think it's 34 minutes, uh, 30 seconds in. If you want to hear that there, there's no point in me doing it again because probably not everyone's already listened to it. But look, in, in uh, you know, TLDR, um, it is written in the rules that 10 tens are only basically given for incomplete rounds. So let's say if it goes 10 seconds, there's a cut or an accident led or something like that. No punch has been landed. There's no effective aggression or no octagon control. You can't decide a winner of that 10 second period. So it'll go to a 10, 10, 10 tens are not there because you can't decide if it's 10, nine, one way or 10, nine, the other way. Uh, your job is to judge, you know, you're not paid to sit in the fence. You're paid to, to judge who won the round and uh, that judge didn't do it there. Right. Let's move on. And the next question here is from our guy. Break the wall. Christopher Graham, uh, how are you, Chris? Did, did I get the right one there, Brett? On the walls? Oh, he went. He went to go. He did. Did you want to go back? Yeah, he told me to go back to, to Chris Jericho. So I think I got that right there. Maybe we'll mix it up. Maybe we go half Chris Jericho, half Stone Cold. You never know. Um, anyway, first question from Christopher Graham, man. Christopher, thank you very much. How does the UFC heavyweight division play out now? Let's uh, let me just pull it up here and have a quick look. Look, I, I think. Look. Francis is caught and Eric Nixick, you know, Francis is caught and I think he is, geez, there's, a, there's a lot of spoofers in coaching in MMA and outside of it. Anyone watch the Arsenal documentary too? God Almighty, you see Arteta against Man United if you're talking about spoofers and coaching. But anyway, but your man Eric Nixick was talking about Francis and he was saying, oh, we want John Jones next and all that. I'm like, well, the, the, that fight was supposed to happen two years ago. Why the fuck didn't it? Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll see on that one. It's hard to think they're not going to do Jones versus Stipe now, isn't it? Like, that seems like the fight that they had planned over the last while. So, let's say Jones versus Stipe, and the winner of that will fight Francis. Then you have Cyril, who just beat Ty. Like, Cyril versus Blades, I think, makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe Ty versus um, Aspinall then. Do Derek. I don't know, Derek versus someone else. Derek fought Pavlovich. He has, I think. Let me click on Pavlovich here. Does it show the record? Uh, his last few fights. Yeah, he, it was his last fight. Yeah, of course, he fought Derek Lewis. So, you know, you could give Pavlovich Jarzino or Rosenstruck or someone like that. But, yeah, I think that's the way it'll probably work out over the over the next while. Um, would you book Stipe Ganyan next if Stipe doesn't fight Jones for the interim title? Yeah, I probably would, yeah. Yeah, if that... Uh, now, as I said, if the interim title doesn't happen or if the Jones versus Stipe fight doesn't happen... I like Stipe versus Gany a lot. Like, is Stipe going to take that fight and is he going to take it easily? That That's another question. I would say probably not. But I like the Gany versus Blades fight. I think that makes a load of sense. Um, I, I really do think that's the one to make. So maybe I wouldn't even make. I, like, I think it's a great fight, Stipe versus Gany. Maybe that's the fight to make after Gany versus Blades. So yeah, I'd make Gany versus Blades. Oh, next question. Will the UFC keep Gagne away from Blades? If Francis can out-wrestle him, Blades surely ragged on him. No, I, I, it's a totally different matchup because Francis has the boxing, obviously, behind it as well. Um, I uh, I don't think... I don't think the wrestling will be a long-term issue for Gagne, honestly. And Blades has shown in the past that he can get bombed out of there <laughs> very quickly by a guy who's uh, uh, outgunned him. 
And uh, I think Ganya might be that. So it's, it look, and do you know what? Look, that's the question we can answer. And that's why I think it's a good matchup. Because he can answer maybe some of those questions. Uh, next question. Whis- Whisker? Whitaker versus Costa in Australia next. I suppose, yeah. Um, the thing about Whitaker is he just needs to start racking up those matches, you know, start racking up those wins. And if he can win enough and beat enough of the top guys, he'll get his way back. Or maybe Pereira will beat uh, Israel Adesanya and he'll be right in there. He will be the next guy. So uh, him versus Costa in Australia. Yeah, sign me up. Sure. Why not? Uh, after Leon uh, won the title, Dana mentioned that the UFC would be going back to the UK, but at the expense of another destination. Could this have been your UFC Africa event? If not there, where? I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, like the thing about the arenas, especially the arenas in London, I think they're very, very full and it's very hard to get dates there. Um, Ireland as well, even, I believe. Um, and that's a major issue. So if they wanted to go to the UK, I don't think they're go- like, I don't think Leon versus Usman 2 will be on the UK, if I'm being honest. I hope it is. I hope I'm, I hope, and it's not necessarily even right. I just, it's just kind of the. Um, Look past this prologue, really. They they did it for Bisping once, but like they did it in the middle of the night. Will they be able to do that again? I don't think so. Um, I think it'll it'll end up being on in America. Is it the UFC Africa event? I don't know. Like the UFC have been talking about Africa for years. Um, no, maybe the fact it was Usman, maybe he was going to be the the guy on it, but I uh, I would say probably not. You know, I think it's probably just. Some other run-of-the-mill event, maybe a Germany event, or maybe... Uh, Stockholm, was it Stockholm they were planning on doing? That they're not doing now? Or are they still doing that? I don't know. You, uh, Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know on that one. All right, ladies and gents. That's it. That's your lot. I hope you enjoyed this month's edition of The Roundup. As always, if you can, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash pints and sign up there to get unlimited access to every single podcast every single month for the rest of existence. Thanks very much. Take care of yourselves. Have a great one.